please help me welcome Dr. Karen Smith to this service. Amen. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. So good to see all of you tonight. Good to be here. Wednesday night kind of pushes us through the rest of the week. Amen. Uh, just a couple of announcements before I begin tonight. Uh, Pastor Todd is with Pastor Gary Moore. Um, I believe he's in Gainesville. Is he in Gainesville, Pastor Sherry? The Methodist Church in Gainesville. So Pastor Todd is uh, speaking there tonight. And I told him when he left this afternoon, I said, take them back to their roots. The Methodist faith has roots deep in the Holy Spirit and the things of the Holy Spirit. So I said, take them back to the roots. Not that they're not there, but just good reminders. So he is with, again, Pastor Gary Moore. Pastor Marty is in the uh, conference tonight down in Atlanta. And so we want to remember them as um, they're traveling about and as they're out ministering tonight. Just a couple of other things before we dive into the Word. Tonight when we conclude the service, uh, the Canego team will be out at the tables. For any of you that may want to register with us tonight for the fall classes or if you have questions, there's a brand new info flyer out there for you. And so our team will be out there uh, at the display table as soon as we conclude tonight. And again, just to simply walk you through registration if you have not registered already. A couple things to mention there. You may not know what path you want to take right now. Diploma, audit, degree, you may not know. The key is just get in, okay? And so just get in. And we'll help you determine everything in the days ahead. Uh, you'll have another step that you have to complete in order to fulfill your registration in full. And so that's when you can make that final, final decision on what path you want to take, right? So we'll be out there to answer questions for you um, tonight right after the service, as I said. Another thing that is on the docket that's brand new this year, other than the degree program, is the dual enrollment for high school students. And so many of you parents have come to me and said, please do something with my kids for Caneo. Let's get them moving in that direction. Well, we got that this year, okay? So parents, get on board. Um, we'll be talking to the young people next week about that. Uh, and that kind of dovetails into the next uh, announcement I want to give you. Next Wednesday night in here, the youth will be over with us because Pastoretta and her team will be using their sanctuary on Wednesday night for camp. And so next Wednesday night, uh, we're going to give them an opportunity to report on Honduras because many of you want to know more stories. We didn't get enough Sunday morning. Amen. So there'll be more stories uh, and more information and more testimonies next Wednesday night from those young people and that team. And then also be giving them a Caneo charge, hoping that they will jump on board and come and study with us in the fall. Amen? So that being said, uh, get your Bible out and welcome to class. I don't know any other way to do it than to teach. And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want to teach out of the Word of God. So I want you to go in your Bible to Psalm 84, Psalm 84, okay? Psalm 84. Now, I'm going to teach Psalm 84, I promise. I'm, I promise I'm going to do that. But the background information on this psalm and the, really the whole book of Psalms is just as exciting as this psalm itself. Okay, it's just as exciting. Last week, Pastor Todd talked about getting in the Word of God, staying in the Word of God, how a lot of times in revival, 
we will neglect our quiet time and uh, participating in the Word of God on a daily basis. It's very easy to do because we can kind of kid ourselves and say, well, Lord, I've been with you all night at Revival, right? Lord, I was at Revival for seven hours. You still want me to read the Word? Yes, He still wants us to read the Word. And so we don't want to kid ourselves and, and substitute ministry for being in the Word, amen? But a lot of times uh, when, we, when we dive into the Word, it helps us, guys, to have some, uh, to get some understanding and to understand what we're reading. And in order to do that, a lot of times you have to get some background information on a passage of Scripture. Now, that's kind of the slant that I teach uh, from in Caneo. I don't know any other way to study the Bible than to get some underpinning, some information around the text so that when you read the text, the thing makes sense. It makes sense. Just like that passage of Scripture that Pastor Sherry read a moment ago, Ephesians 1, 1 through, well, I think you started at verse 2 or so, right along in there, all the way up to 14. That is one sentence. In the Greek, that is one sentence that she read. And it's so powerful. But to understand some of the information around that text, uh, when you get that under your belt, you learn things like author and setting. You learn things about, a little bit about the original language. Then when you go back and read it, you say, oh, now I know what, why Pastor Sherry emphasized this and she emphasized that because she studied that passage out and she knows the depth of it. And so tonight, I want to do that. I, I want to I I teach not only the chapter itself, but I want to give you some information around it and even in the book of Psalms, because when you, the whole book of Psalms, because when you start seeing things, uh, again, some of that, that type of information, it just helps to bring the text alive. It's hard sometimes to open your Bible and you turn to Luke 3 and you just start reading cold turkey. That's kind of hard to do. Okay, and so what it makes us do is we don't get the oomph of the passage. We don't get the depth of the passage, and we may even get a little bit bored with the passage. But Pastor Sherry mentioned something when she was praying a moment ago. She talked about the wonder of God. And guys, when you start looking at his word from all the different angles and the different facets, I believe it is uh, the Jews say that in a text or a scripture that a scripture has 70 sides, that you can spin a scripture 70, I don't know if that's a literal 70 or if it's metaphorically speaking, but that you can spin a scripture so many different ways as you're seeing into it, almost like you're looking into a diamond. And we've got to learn to do our Bible that way, all right? And so uh, I'm going to teach content, yes. Content is wonderful. Content is everything. But there's more to your Bible than content. And as I said, a lot of times that back information and that underpinning is just as exciting as the content. And I'm going to show you what I mean in just a moment. Amen? So we're going to be in Psalm 84 here in just a moment. Now, does anybody remember this commercial? I'm dating myself. Mr. Owl, how many licks does it take to get to this to the center, to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop. Does anybody remember that? That's Bible study. That's Bible study. 
And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take all these licks until we get to the center of Psalm 84. And that's how you study your word. Because how many of you know that candy coating on the outside of that chocolate part, that's pretty good too, right? I don't really like chocolate, so I didn't care if I got to the center of the Tootsie Roll. I like the candy part on the outside. And that is the way it is a lot of times in your Bible study. There's a, there's a treasure when you get to the content of the passage of Scripture. But getting there as you lick along the way, there's good stuff there too. Amen? So that's how we're going to approach things tonight. Is that okay with everybody? All right, here we go. I just want to introduce the book of Psalms altogether. Because when you do that, again, as we get into one particular chapter, you're going to see how this thing is laid out. Okay? So it is called the book of Psalms because there are 150 Psalms. So when we, we talk about an individual psalm, when I tell you to turn to Psalm 84, I say Psalm 84 because it is one psalm. It is one of 150, okay? So there are 150 individual psalms that make up the book of psalms, okay? It is a collection of psalms that form an entire book. So your book of psalms, it's a collection of psalms. And those psalms were penned over a period of about a 1,000 years. There were multiple authors. I'm going to talk to you about the authors in a moment. And it was primarily collected by individuals like King David and Solomon that put these, uh, these uh, psalms together and formed our book of psalms. It's, it's, it's interesting uh, how the book itself is even compiled, that in itself is even inspired. Now, a lot of people look at the book of Psalms as a prayer book, as a, as a prayer book, book of prayers. It does have prayers in it, and many of the Psalms are prayers. Some of them are, but not all of them are, okay? So it's best to see your book of Psalms as a hymn book. It's really the songs of the nation of Israel. It's songs that they would sing. It's songs that they would recite, okay? And a lot of times in the titles, uh, in the beginning of each psalm, it may mention an instrument. It may mention a chief musician. And the reason is, is because these are songs that the nation of Israel would sing, okay? in various times and, and in various ways and for various reasons. So it's best to understand that whole book, Now I'm talking about the whole book of Psalms, all 150 of them, as the hymns of Israel. The Hebrew word psalm literally means melody. And oftentimes uh, it would be uh, that the, the leader, so to speak, or the choir director would say part of the psalm, and then the congregation or the Hebrews present would say something back. So if you could just kind of get it in your mind's eye that when you're reading the book of Psalms, you're really reading a song. Uh, has anybody ever heard of a cantata? A cantata, right? Okay. So a cantata is a choral composition as a lyric drama set to music but not acted out. If you go to a cantata, it's a story. It's a narrative. It's telling a story 
but it's not acted out. In this case, they are singing the story. Well, that's what your book of Psalms is all about. And, and the, the primary thing that this book talks about, guys, is the history of God himself. The book of Psalms deals a lot with King David, King Solomon, the, the covenant under King David. So you'll see David popping up all through the book of Psalms. But it's really talking about the majesty and the sovereignty of God himself. So it really records the history of God. The Psalms are considered Hebrew poetry. Most songs are poetry, right? Okay. And so it's considered Hebrew poetry. So that's something to keep in mind as well. This is something that I love about the whole book itself. The content, now listen to what I'm saying, the content and the composition or the structure of every psalm, they're both inspired. Not only is the content what the psalm is about, that's inspired by God, but literally the composition, how the psalm is laid out, because remember, it's poetry. And we're always used to rhyme and rhythm and in English poetry. But I'm telling you right now that Hebrew poetry is artwork. They would lay it out a certain way with a certain balance and a certain rhythm because it would help the Hebrews memorize it. Okay? So it was not only is the content, what the psalm is about inspired by God, but its composition or its structure. There are psalms that each verse starts with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and covers every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet going in order. They did that and Holy Spirit did that so mankind could memorize God's word easily. So you're watching out for us the whole time. So not only is content inspired, but also how it's literally put together. I like that. I like that there was no guesswork and how your Bible was put together. So the content and the composition are inspired. Also, the author and the editor, all the authors were inspired by the Holy Spirit and what they penned. And by edit, I mean when they put it together, Holy Spirit said, grab that psalm from that author. I want that one from that author. I want 73 of David's psalms in this book of mine. Amen? So content and composition are inspired. The author and the editor are inspired. There are several authors David is responsible, uh, responsible for 73 of the 150. Solomon wrote two, and it goes on and on and on. The sons of Korah were responsible for 10 of the Psalms, and we're going to look at one of their Psalms tonight. This Psalm 84 was written by the sons of Korah. So again, many authors, many Psalms, all in one very large book. There are divisions uh, of the book of Psalms. It's literally made up of five smaller books. Many theologians believe that it equates to the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So for every uh, first book of the, of the, um, the first five books of the Old Testament or the Torah, there is a book of Psalms 
that correspond. So these are like tiny books inside of one large book. Now you'll notice that book one, that's covered by chapters three through 40. Chapters one and two, the first and second Psalms, they're kind of introductory Psalms. So the, the first division is, is the Psalms, uh, Psalm three through 40. Then you'll notice 41 is missing because the next book starts with 42. So 41, Psalm 72, Psalm 89, and Psalm 106 are all seam psalms. It's called a seam psalm. And so those psalms at the end of each book kind of sew it all up. It's called a seam psalm. Did you ever think that the book of Psalm had all this in it? But it does. And many of the books of your Bible are like this. Guys, listen, we've got a wonder-working God. We've got a very creative God. We have a very detailed God. And when he put his love letter together for us, he meant it. And he laid it out in such a way that it would be easy for us to understand. Easy for He intends for us to understand. There are no mysteries with him. Okay, so he wants us to dig this thing out and to understand it well. And so it's just, again, it's just amazing how this book is laid out. There are three categories of psalms. All 150 fall under one of three, these three categories. There are lament psalms, praise psalms, and worship psalms. And the categories or the types of psalms is even more defined. But you know them. You know what a lament psalm is? What does lament mean? It means to like mourn or to grieve over something. And you've read a psalm that it's just, you're thinking, man, this author's weepy. What's the problem? Okay, and maybe there's a struggle in the psalm or their heart is broken and they're crying out to God. That's a lament psalm. Then there's a praise psalm. We're going to read one tonight. It's kind of a praise psalm, but we know what those are all about. And then there's our psalms that just express deep worship to the things of God. So those are categories of psalms. You could read them today and be able to pick them out. You could read a psalm and put it under one of those very easily because of the content, okay? Then there are types of psalms. Lament is a type. Thanksgiving is a type of psalm. When you thank the Lord, you know, there are psalms in the book of Psalms that just thank him, just thanks him, not asking for anything, but just thanks God. Amen? We should wake up with one of those every morning. Let me just find me a good old Thanksgiving psalm, and I'm going to recite that to him. I'm going to sing it unto him. And many times the nation of Israel, that's what they would do. They would just sing unto the Lord a psalm of thanksgiving. Guys, I'm telling you what right now. Two things go a long way in the kingdom. One of them is honor. And one of them is gratitude. Just being grateful. Just being grateful. So thanksgiving is a type of psalm. Enthronement psalms, that's a type of psalm. And these just say that God alone is king of kings, and a psalm like this would describe God's sovereign rule. Then as I said, there's a praise. There are praise psalms. Um, Descriptive praise extols God for who he is, and declarative praise just thanks him for answering prayer. So those are like subtypes 
of a praise psalm. There are royal psalms. These portray the reign of the earthly king as well as the heavenly king of Israel. So it could be about uh, Jesus, the king of kings, or it could also be uh, uh, about an earthly king. Some are, are prayers over an earthly king. You can read some of these psalms and you pick out, oh, there's Solomon, he was a king. Oh, this psalm is talking about David, he was a king. And those are called royal psalms. There are wisdom psalms. And there are imprecatory psalms. Now, I like those. What an imprecatory psalm is, that's the one like where the psalmist is saying, God, rain down your judgment on your enemies. Take them out, Lord. Y'all read those psalms? Okay. But the problem is, is sometimes maybe the posture of my heart, if I prayed that, is not the same as the author. Okay. Because an implicatory psalm or an implicatory prayer was prayed when somebody went against their God and he wanted it handled. You know, a lot of times we might pray that because... They went against us, and we wanted it handled. But there are imprecatory psalms where there's a call of judgment on one's enemy. All right? Imprecatory psalms. Each book has a general theme. Every book has a general theme. And the, the one that we're going to look at tonight, Psalm 84, the general theme of that whole book, because Psalm 84 is found in book number 3, in our five. So in book number three, most all of those psalms deal with the national struggles of Israel and how God came in and took care of Israel when she was struggling. Generally, it's a struggle against an enemy. Specifically in book three, it was the enemy, the Assyrians in Jewish history. Okay, so every book has a general theme. So the one that we're going to read tonight, there was a struggle. Israel had been in a struggle. And Psalm 84, it is a type. If you put it under type, it's a praise psalm. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But the overall theme of the whole book of Psalms, and then we're going to get into our text. If you had to title, or if you had to give it one overall theme, if I open the book of Psalms and you read any of the 150 and you say summarize, it would be God reigns, that God himself reigns. Because you know how it is when you read this, the book of Psalms, those Psalms are, they are, uh, they extol God, they praise him. Those Psalms for the most part, they either start with or it's in the middle somewhere or it ends with how great God is. And he just comes in and he would swoop up the nation of Israel and he would honor his kings and he would destroy the enemies. That's why a lot of times I think that uh, we start out our services with one of the Psalms because it just brings you up, you know? You're talking about how great God is and how sovereign he is and how mighty he is. So I think a lot of times, Pastor Marty and the others, they'll pull out a psalm that's just power and it sets the stage for praise and worship. Boy, we're ready to praise and worship when we've read a particular psalm that really lifts him up. Amen? So does that help you? 
All right, so that's just a little bit of groundwork. So now let's look at the text. Let's look at the text. I told Pastor Todd, I said, now listen, I'm going all the way to 815. I'm going to 815. And he goes, do you have anything else you need to confess? And I said, well, don't get mad if I go to 815. I said, don't, don't get upset because he really loves to honor your time. You know, we say we're going to cut off at a certain time. He likes to cut off at a certain time. You've got children. You've got to go to work the next day, blah, blah, blah. And he said, now, you got anything else to tell me? And I said, but now don't get angry. And he goes, well, I'm not going to be there anyway. Remember, I'm preaching for Pastor Gary. I go, oh, yeah. Okay, well, we're good then. So y'all don't tell on me. But 815, okay, can we do it? All right, Psalm 84. Let's read it. Psalm 84, now you've got a little, couple of little lines there at the beginning of Psalm 84 called a title. There's like a little, just give you a little bit of description. Don't miss the title. Never overlook a title. Don't overlook a genealogy. Well, how am I read all those begats? You missed the begats. You missed the whole family tree of Jesus in Matthew and in Luke. Everything's there for a reason. So here we go, Psalm 84. The blessedness of dwelling in the house of God. That's a subtitle in my text. But most of you should have to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Do you have that for the most part? Okay, that's good. Don't miss that. All right, let's just read. Then we'll hop around, make a few points, call it a night. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts, hmm, he says that twice, is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked, or in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Amen? So you see how that would fall under the category of a praise song, right? It's a praise song. Now, I just want to go back to that title for just a moment because I want to show you guys, this is how you study your Bible. You don't pass over anything. And believe it or not, in that title itself is a lot of information that is vital to the understanding and the appreciation of the psalm itself. You mean in that little title about a musician and about Gath and about the sons of Korah, there's something in there that's going to help me appreciate Psalm 84? Yes. There's something in there that will help you appreciate the psalm, okay? So very quickly, it says to the chief musician 
on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Do you see that? Now, to the chief musician simply means the choir leader. This goes back to what I said a moment ago. Oftentimes, a psalm was sung in a responsive fashion. So the leader would say part of the psalm, and then the congregation would respond or repeat it back, or somehow they would participate in that. Okay? So that's what it means to the chief musician. And then it goes on to say, on an instrument of gath, we say, what in the world does that even mean? Okay? Now, theologians connect it to this instrument here, the zither. But the history behind this instrument is what makes this so powerful. Because you see this showing up again in Psalm 8, which is also another very powerful psalm of King David. How many of you know that King David was a musician? He did things that were so unorthodox for his day. You know, he runs in to the, to the, uh, to the temple, to the tabernacle, and asks for showbread off of the showbread table because his men were hungry. Nobody did that. You see him dancing in the streets, you know, and he's kind of stripped down to his, his, uh, his um, garment here. He's dancing before what? The Ark of the Covenant. Nobody messed with the Ark of the Covenant, but he did. He's bringing it back to Jerusalem and going to put it in the tabernacle of David until they finish the tabernacle or the temple or put it in the, uh, yes, the tabernacle of David until the temple of Solomon was completed. And there's a whole story behind why he was dressed the way he was, and it's not what you think, okay? But David was a musician in and of himself. He wrote 73 of the Psalms. So what about this instrument of Gath thing? Well, you have to ask yourself, who or what was Gath? Well, Gath was a Philistine stronghold city during the time of King David. Gath was a city, and it was a stronghold uh, that was kept by the Philistines or the Philistines, however you want to say that. Goliath, that's where we, Goliath was, he was from Gath, and his brothers were from Gath. So what is this telling us? Y'all, this is so good. What is this telling us? This is telling us that King David, as a young boy, when he defeated Goliath, he took one of their musical instruments, trained himself on how to play it, trained all the other musicians of Israel how to play it, and in the face of the Philistines, praised the God of Israel on one of their musical instruments. So now the sons of Korah, when they sing their psalm responsively with their leader, their psalm, Psalm 84, David said, hey, pull out the zither because as you are singing this psalm, we want our enemies to know that, hey, our God defeated you and we have taken possession of your own musical instruments and we're playing our victory song on your instruments. And we would have missed that if we did not investigate what the instrument of Gath was. Do you know what that did to the hearts of the Hebrews? It reminded them 
of David's victory over Goliath. Amen? And again, it shows up in Psalm 8. That was a powerful demonstration. He mocked the enemy by playing praise psalms on their own instrument. Now, just to make it even, to make it even stronger, Psalm 84, it is a praise psalm, that's the category, but its type is a pilgrimage psalm. And so what the children of Israel would do, they would sing certain psalms as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year at one of the three, there were seven feasts, but there were three of the seven feasts of the Jews that they had to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate. And those three were Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. So during the year, it's called a pilgrimage, they would go back to Jerusalem on one of these three feasts. And as they would go, and as they would travel, and as they would march, they would be singing a pilgrimage song. And so they're doing this. They're singing Psalm 84, using the zither, and they're singing about how great their God was and how he, he rescued them from their enemies and he destroyed Goliath and he took down the people of Gath. And because our God did that, they're singing, now we can take our pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year during our three feasts and celebrate our God. Isn't that good? So that's what a pilgrimage a psalm is all about. So Psalm 84, the sons of Korah are singing this on their way to Jerusalem during one of these three feasts of the Jews. It's called a pilgrimage feast. That's what they would do. So good. And listen, all that in the title. All that in the title. Guys, you've got to slow down and read your word. And you can't say, I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't really know where to find what that means because we can help you in Caneo because you're going to miss the jewels. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking you even deeper in this Psalm 84 because Psalm 84 in and of itself is beautiful. But when you know some things around it, you appreciate it more. And then that's when you start going, man, this word is good. What else is here? Right? Okay? So pick that back at verse 10 for just a moment. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of, the, of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. So see, it's good. But with other things added in and more understanding, it just gets better and better. Okay, hop back to verse 1. This, this psalmist, one of the sons of Korah, is the one writing. And we'll talk about sons of Korah in a moment. But he makes a statement in verse 1 and 2. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the, the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So they're singing this on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Guys, this, this, um, 
couple of verses here. How lovely is your tabernacle, of, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. You see, you have to understand that in the days of the tabernacle of Moses, in the days of the temple of Solomon, in the days of the temple of Herod, in the old covenant, because we're in the new covenant now, and now you're the temple, and the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you if you're born again. But back in the old covenant, God's presence was in the tabernacle of Moses, temple of Solomon, uh, temple of Zerubbabel, whatever temple was in that particular time period. So here's what the psalmist is saying when he says, I long for the courts of the temple. I long to be back at the temple. Look, he says, how lovely is your tabernacle. Now, this is actually talking about the temple of Solomon, which came after the tabernacle of Moses. So he's talking about the courts of the temple. I just want to be back in the temple. I just want to, I'm on my pilgrimage. I'm going back to Jerusalem because I got to get to the temple. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because that is where the presence of God dwelt. That's so important. That helps you with this psalm like, like crazy. That's why the tabernacle was lovely. And it says that my soul longs for the courts of the temple. It literally means to pine, to pine. He was desperate for the courts. Because you got to understand that all of, the, all of the Hebrews would go back to Jerusalem. Wherever they lived, they were dispersed throughout. Not everybody lived in Jerusalem. So when those three festivals or those three feasts that they were required to go back to Jerusalem, when those popped up on the calendar, they all loaded up. If you watch The Chosen, they've done it. Y'all watch The Chosen? It's required for Caneo. You cannot go to heaven without watching The Chosen. I'm just telling right now. Okay? And so they would all load up and go to pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Okay? Because they wanted to get to the temple. Just get me to the temple. Just get me to the courts. Why? Because that represented the presence of God. Now, it's different for us because, as I said, now we're the temple. Now the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you, so he, you temple wherever you go because he's with you. That's what the new covenant brought you. That's why you can go into the highways and the byways. You can go into the marketplace and take Jesus with you. You don't have to bring your friend to the temple. Let's go find the presence of God. He's in the temple. That's old covenant, and that was okay for then. Now you understand why he was so yearning to get to the house of God. He was so yearning to get in those courts because that's where the presence of God dwelt, was in the Holy of Holies, which is the deep part of that, uh, taber or that Temple of Solomon right there. You see one of the courts right there, and let me make this observation. In the uh, Temple of Solomon, there were two courts. There was an outer court or, or the great court. You can see it on this diagram on the right. And then there was an inner court or the court of priests or the upper court. Now remember, this is the sons of Korah. And there's a history about the sons of Korah. We'll look at it. And they were just saying, I just got to get to, just get me to the courts. Because they were forbidden, remember, not just anybody could go into the holy place or into the holy of holies. 
just get me to the court. I just want to be in the presence of God. And even though it's not like that with us, aren't we just, we just like this too? We just think, man, if I can just get to revival, if I can just get to church this morning, don't we do, we say that, don't we? And that's okay, that's great, because that shows that there's strength here. And when the corporate body comes together collectively, there is power in the presence of God because we're all here together as a body collectively. So we do this to a degree. Man, if I can just get to church tonight, I'm going to make it because God's presence is there corporately. But you see the difference, right? But sticking to the psalm, that's why he couldn't wait to get back to the temple of Solomon because God's presence dwelt there. And that's how it was in the old covenant in the old uh, 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 representing the old testament he was he dwelt his presence was in the holy of holies but the closest that a common person could get was those two courts it's the closest that they get and the outer court was basically just a gathering for worship and that inner court the inner court you can see it better here was where the brazen altar was and the laver those two pieces of furniture were used in what? Giving sacrifice. They could bring their sacrifice up just so far to the inner court, and then they had to let it go because the priest would take it from there and make the offering for them. But look at what a picture that is. Look at what a picture that is. This psalmist, the son of Korah, was saying, I just want to get to the temple and just repent. I want to get to the temple and give my sacrificial offering. I want to get clean before God. I want to get the forgiveness of my sin. If I can just get to temple and get in the, the outer court, then move on into the inner court and give my offering, I'll be in right standing with God once again. Isn't that beautiful? No wonder he wanted to get to the tabernacle. No wonder he said, how lovely is your tabernacle? Because Lord, I know I can go there and find refuge. I can go there and get forgiveness and I can go there and experience your presence. Because there was only one temple of Solomon and it rested in Jerusalem. The best they could do out on their own when they went back home was synagogue. Just, you know, a meeting place to read Torah together. But there was only one temple where the presence of God dwelt then. But now, look at how blessed and fortunate we are. We don't have to come to temple to find his presence. He walks with you all the time. So if we were a psalmist, wouldn't our expression be far above Psalm 84? We're saying, Lord, we thank you that you tabernacle on the inside of us every day. And we get to experience you every day. But again, understanding things like this helps you to appreciate the voice, the tone, the mood of this writer. If you're going, well, why is the tabernacle lovely? What's the big deal about the tabernacle? He knew if he could just get to those courts... He's a little bit closer to the presence of God because that's where God dwelt in the days of the Old Testament. Amen? Does that make sense to everyone? Okay. I'm not going to finish, but 
we'll, we'll move quicker, as quick as we can. Look at verse three. Look at verse three. I'm probably gonna have to finish right here and we'll, we'll, maybe we can finish it up sometime. But for tonight, look at verse three. So it says, how lovely is your tabernacle, verse one, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Now you know why. There were two courts in the temple of Solomon, the outer and the inner. Now you know what happened in each one of them. The outer court was a court of worship. He just wanted to go worship. The inner court was the court where he would bring his sacrifice and get right with God. No wonder he wanted to get to the temple, right? My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now watch this, because boy, you this is like just a this is just like a uh, a right hook or a quick turn. This verse starts talking about birds. Birds, okay. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the sparrow and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. It's weird. Starts talking about sparrows and swallows. Now, does anybody have those those birds that build a nest in your porch? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. I promise you, our birds followed us from Lula. We used to live in North Hall, and I promise you those birds are back. They're back, and they're a mess. They're a mess, you know, and you'll look up there at night, and you'll see these little bit head about that big, that little baby, that little head. It's popping up. They're messy, right? And those birds are fearless. Mom and Dad, Todd and I will be sitting out on the porch, and they're swooping in. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You get near those nests, and Mom and Dad, they are swooping in. And, I mean, it's just like they just buzz right by you. They're fearless. But what is this psalmist talking? Is it, why are you bringing up birds? This is something very, boy, this is something very, very special here. Even the sparrow has found a home. Look at that bird nest. And the swallow a nest for herself. Now, this is the way you study your Bible. You stop and you say, what is the deal with the nesting of a swallow and a sparrow? Because my psalmist is talking about birds building a nest somewhere in the temple. Well, a swallow and a sparrow, they will nest on dark ledges, nooks, crannies, eaves, and roof lines. Okay? And so, what the psalmist is saying is, even the sparrows found a home in the temple. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. And you see the eagerness of the psalmist to get to the temple, right? We've already established that. And so the psalmist is saying, Lord, just like the sparrow has found a home in your temple, just like the swallow has found a home, they have found refuge and safety and a place to raise their young. They have found a haven, amen? They have found comfort in your home, in your temple. That's what I want to do. If you let the birds nest in your temple, 
you will let me reside there too. Because doesn't he say that he sees every sparrow fall? That's over in the New Testament. Do you see how this psalm just keeps getting sweeter and sweeter? Okay. And so, again, he says, uh, as they found comfort, they have found refuge in the very structure of the temple. I, too, have found, and I will find, comfort and refuge in the temple. Now, it doesn't mean, because it goes on to say, even your altars are Lord of hosts. It doesn't mean that the birds built nests near the altar, because we've already looked at the, that the nesting uh, habits of a sparrow and a swallow. doesn't mean that. And besides that, that would not have been allowed because those birds would have defiled the articles of the temple. They would not have allowed them. They would not have allowed the bird, the bird to nest, find comfort and refuge anywhere near an altar. But man can. Man can. And so it was as if he said, as they have found comfort and refuge in the temple, I too have found comfort and refuge where? At your altars. At your altars. That is so good. The psalmist again said, if I can get to the temple, I can worship I can give my sacrifice, draw closer to the Lord. I can experience his presence, and I can go to the altar. The psalmist saw the altar as a place of comfort. Like, are you kidding me? Because in the temple of Solomon, the tabernacle of Moses, there were two altars. And he said, and notice it is plural. It is plural there. It says... Even your altars, O Lord of hosts. So there were two altars. I can understand how somebody would find comfort at the altar of incense because that's where worship was done. Now, he couldn't go into that area because that was the holy place. The common man could not go in, but he knew it was there. He knew he could worship. But he literally said, listen to this, and I close. I find comfort in both altars. I find refuge in both altars. Just like the sparrow has found refuge in the rafters and they nest there, I find refuge in the altars. What about that brazen altar? Isn't that where they gave the sacrifice and blood and death and fire and all that? Yes, it is. But that also was the place of forgiveness. That's the place of forgiveness. That is prophetic. That is a prophetic foreshadowing of the cross of Christ. And don't you find comfort and refuge in his altar, his cross, the cross of Christ? Of course you do. No wonder the psalmist said, I find comfort and rest, a place to house myself, a place to bring my young, raise my young, comfort and peace in the altars. Isn't that good? Okay, so now, tonight, before you go to bed, read Psalm 84 one more time and think about all these things. Amen? All right, let's stand to our feet. 820, I didn't do too bad.
So my Kaneo team, I'm going to ask if you guys will slip to the, uh, to the um, lobby. I'll join you in just a second. So they're going to be out there to help any of you guys that have questions about Kaneo or you'd like to register tonight. Again, if you're straddling the fence because you don't know what program you want to be involved in, it is okay. Just get your name on the list. If you've got questions about the degree program, I know many people have questions about workload. Well, how much more work is it? This is the question we get all the time. Can I do it? And Bob the Builder would say, yes, you can. You can do it. Okay? So, guys, this is, this is the type of teaching and the type of things that we look at in Kaneo. Right, Kaneo students? This is the kind of stuff we do this all the time. And so you're going to leave tonight going, what, what else is there? What else what else might there be? So I invite you to join us in Kaneo. If not Kaneo, get in some type of discipleship program where you are growing. All right? Father, we just thank you for tonight. And Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that it's never your intent to hide your love letter from us. We as a people just need to slow down long enough to say, what does that mean? What does that mean? And, Lord, we are the generation that is going to be the most accountable for knowing the Word or not because we have every type of resource at our fingertips that will help us learn your Word. So, Father, we want to submit to that because we want to be people that are prepared not only to thrive in our own Christian walk but to help somebody else thrive. We want to be effective. So, Father, I just pray that you'll take away the fear, any condemnation that the enemy babes that you can't do it. Everybody else can, but you can't. That is a lie because you've already given us the command to, to be disciples, and you'll grace us. So, Father, I thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. Continue to show us your word. Bless Pastor Todd as he's away, Pastor Marty. And, Father, we just thank you. You're good to us. And you are greatly to be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, have a great night. Don't forget about prayer on Saturday night. And also, before you slip away, if you can come and help us uh, dip these cloths, Pastor Sherry would appreciate that. There are buckets on both sides of the stage. If you'll handle it that way, pray over them. Um, let's have several folks come down and do this so that not just one person is doing them all. Grab a prayer partner and pray over them for us, all right? These things go out in the mail tomorrow. Thank you guys so much.